This is Second Story Radio. I'm Jackie Sujiko. In Lincoln, Nebraska, there is a tiny museum dedicated to the Lincoln Telephone and Telegraph Company. The museum is about four rooms large. One room shows a replica of an operator board with mannequins sitting at the controls. Most of the museum is different kinds of phones. Candlestick phones to rotary phones to those clear plastic ones where you can see the wires and circuits inside. The whole museum is run by retired LTNT employees volunteering in their free time. This is Terry Brinforder, one of the volunteers working at the museum when I visited. He worked at LTNT for 26 years before retiring. I was the first uh, blind or visually impaired person to be a long distance telephone operator in the state of Nebraska. And the long distance telephone operator was doing person to person, station to station calls, overseas calls, uh, checking on uh, pay phones. If somebody made a pay phone, you listen to the coins. You listen for the coins? Yeah, see if it's a quarter, quarter, nickel, dime. It's it's all different. But the other a, volunteer here today is Jim Erie. He's showing me around the museum, and the first thing we look at is an old payphone, and he shows me what Terry means by listening for the coins. So this is a silver dollar, and this is a half a dollar. The telephone museum might seem a little esoteric, but the phone was a huge turning point in technology, and it radically changed the communications industry in America. It was like the Wild West, but instead of guns and cowboys, there was copyright law and government regulation versus free market economics. Today, we know Alexander Graham Bell as the inventor of the telephone. But in 1875, that wasn't so clear. Elisha Gray, another inventor, had also submitted a patent for a way to transmit speech through wire at the same time that Bell had. They were so similar, Bell and Gray went to court over it. In the end, the court awarded the patent to Bell, and Bell started the first telephone company, Bell Telephone Company. But patents aren't forever, and Alexander Graham Bell's patent expired in 1894. When it did, it entered the public domain, and hundreds of independent telephone companies sprang up, eager to get their own piece of the market. See, Bell Telephone's president, Theodore Vail, was sort of an evangelist for the phone. Vail had done such a good job advocating for phone service that now everyone wanted a phone line. But Bell was slow to grow out of the big cities on the East Coast. They hadn't reached most small towns and rural areas yet. Independence did really well, filling in the gaps where Bell hadn't built any phone exchanges. And even if there was a Bell exchange already, that wasn't going to stop an entrepreneur. Competition was fiercest in close quarters. Lincoln, Nebraska was one of those places with both a Bell Company and an independent company. Nebraska Telephone was the Bell Company, and Lincoln Telephone and Telegraph was the independent in town. Frank Woods, one of the co-founders, had kind of a competitive streak in him. He was determined to prove that he could build a better and cheaper phone service for Nebraska than Bell could. But it turned out running a phone company was more expensive than he thought. The intense competition with so many independents and only so many customers made rates fluctuate unpredictably. Meanwhile, Theodore Vail and Bell Telephone were not big fans of the independents. They didn't like the competition. They dealt with it by buying as many independents as they could to add to their own network. Along the way, Bell Company changed their name. They took up the name American Telegraph and Telephone, or AT&T. 
The U.S. government noticed how big AT&T had become and started investigating the company for violating antitrust laws. Instead of fighting the case, AT&T argued that, actually, a monopoly, in this case, would be a good idea. See, they were solving a problem. Let's say your mom subscribed to Bell, and that you subscribed to LT&T. If you picked up the phone and tried to call your mom, you wouldn't be able to. Because you use different phone services, you would be on incompatible lines. AT&T pointed out that by merging with independent companies, that yes, they were becoming a monopoly, but they were also creating a universal and essential service. At the same time, independents were wondering if maybe consolidating their business would be a good idea after all. By now, Frank Woods was not only head of LT&T, but also head of the Independent Telephone Commission, a loose association of independent phone companies from across the country. He helped negotiate a compromise between the ITC and AT&T. 13 independent companies were given their own territory and acquired their AT&T competitor. They would still get to operate separately from AT&T, but they would get hooked into the same system so that you could call anyone, no matter what phone service you use. So we come to detente. Later, in 1984, the Justice Department would take AT&T to court again for antitrust violations. And this time, AT&T couldn't convince them that they were doing it for the good of public service. LT&T was the main telephone service in Nebraska until 1996, when they were bought out, first by Altel, and then Windstream Communications. All that's left of LT&T is the original office building downtown in the museum a few blocks away. And I don't know if it'll work, because there's not many people who can work on it anymore. Jim's showing me the Stroger dialer in the back room of the museum. But it's just right here. Mm -hmm. So we can try it. Okay, so we're going to dial. It was the first automatic phone dialer. It's very noisy. So people could call each other without connecting to an operator. Jim tells me why he likes to volunteer at the museum. I had a bunch of first graders, little girls from Girl Scouts. I brought them down in, you know, they were done in about 20 minutes, you know, until we got to the dialer. And then we started up, and, and the first gal got to dial, and, and pretty soon there was a line of them. And then they would automatically go to the receiving side from the sending, you know. And they played with that for about, well, until their folks wanted them to leave. You know, they couldn't get enough of it. You know, that's why this is worth saving, I guess, to me. It's Jim's way of making sure this piece of history isn't lost. The phone museum is one of those corners where you can see how something that's such an essential part of our life was once just a novelty. Thanks for listening. Second Story Radio is a production of the Nebraska State Historical Society. Special thanks to Terry Brinforder, Jim Erie, and the Frank H. Woods Telephone Museum for their help. Check out our website, secondstoryradio.tumblr.com, or subscribe to us on iTunes. 